Austin, welcome to BNN News. It is Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. I'm Kelly Ransom. And I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Juneteenth. We've come a long way. We've got a long way to go, but we're celebrating today our freedom. On Sunday, residents from all over the city gathered in Roxbury for the inaugural Juneteenth Parade. The parade hosted by Boston Juneteenth Committee began at Warren Street's Boys and Girls Club and ended at the Museum of the National Center for Afro-American Artists. This year's theme was purposeful action anchored in truth. Banners, Juneteenth, and black liberation flags rose high as paraders marched through Roxbury. It was a day of reflection and celebration for everyone involved. Juneteenth was a day when it finally got where people who were formerly slaves, African-American slaves, were given freedom and recognized their final freedom two years after it was given to them by Abraham Lincoln. So what this day represents to so many of us, people of African descent, especially advocates for equal human rights, is the beginning of a new order for African-Americans to begin to feel as though that they're free. Sovereign rights have been offered to them at last. Juneteenth is an important day because it's an opportunity for this country to stop and reflect on how much this community of black and brown people have done for this country. And it's so important that we not only take a time, a day to reflect, but we make policies. We have policies in place to help create equal opportunities for those families for those uh, people who've been impacted by slavery. And I know that, you know, a lot of people are celebrating this weekend just like I am, but I want to see change. Change has to come and change, uh, we deserve change and we deserve opportunities and that's why I want everybody to think about that. The United States did not eliminate slavery when it declared its Declaration of Independence. Some states did. Massachusetts was one of the leading states in making slavery illegal, although it had been legal prior to the War of Independence. So this recognition, this holiday, is uh, an Independence Day for African Americans. As Frederick Douglass said in his speech, what to the African American is your 4th of July? 4th of July commemorated as Independence Day was not independence for African Americans. Juneteenth, June 19th, as we commemorate it, is commemorative of independence for all African Americans in the United States. It was a very special moment during LGBTQIA Pride Month as Boston celebrated the groundbreaking of the city's first LGBTQ friendly affordable senior housing on Friday, June 17th in High Park. Historically, LGBTQ seniors experience higher rates of housing discrimination, lower incomes, unemployment, and food insecurity. So this is a big win for older LGBTQ plus adults living in Boston. The former Barton Rogers School will provide 74 mixed income rental units for seniors with over 10,000 square feet of community space. The renovations will preserve the original 1899 building and its two additions from 1920 and 1934 and will now be known as the Pride. Right now um, we talk a lot about, there are many uh, offices and agencies creating new divisions of uh, diversity and equity and inclusion and I think when we first started these conversations many years ago we got it wrong because we centered the use of the word tolerance. No one seeks to be tolerated. No one deserves to be tolerated. 
Everyone deserves to be seen and counted and heard and safe. And that is true in every facet of society, but especially the place that you call home. And that's what today is about. There's that feeling of security, knowing that you will, in fact, have that roof over your head, and yet the safety, knowing that you're going to be uh, part of a neighborhood, a community uh, that is like, like in kind, and people that understand you a little bit better. Uh, that safety you can't overlook at all. It is so critically important that everyone feel included, welcome, and able to live in a safe place. Living as their authentic selves, for too long, LGBTQ seniors, and especially these older folks, have had to live in the closet, deny who they are, and pretend. And it's, that will take, actually, the studies show 12 years off your expected lifespan. So in the sort of later years of life, it is just such a glorious thing to be free, to be open, to be who you are, accepted, and in a loving, wonderful community. The rental units will be deed restricted in perpetuity and will provide affordable, safe housing for seniors across a variety of incomes. The Pride is also in close proximity to a number of shops and restaurants and two MBTA commuter rail stops. If you're defining resilience, look no further than Toy Burton, the founder and executive director of Didi's Cry Suicide Prevention and Family Support. Didi's Cry is named after her sister, Danita Shane Morris, also known as Didi who died by suicide when she was 23, year, 23 years old in 1986. Toy is also a suicide attempt survivor. As a survivor of physical, verbal, sexual, and mental abuse, Toy has taken her pain and turned it into purpose. In this candid interview, Kelly speaks with Toy about mental health education and the upcoming Roxbury Unity Parade. Toy Burton, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm so happy to have you on BNN News. Thank you for having me. It's been a while since I've talked to you, so we have a lot to catch up on. Yes, pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so I want to talk about your most present upcoming event, and that's uh, the Roxbury Day Parade. Yep, the Roxbury Unity Parade. Unity Parade. <laughs> Roxbury Unity Parade. Um, so what's your role with the Roxbury Unity Parade? So I am the executive director and the founder. Um, so five years ago, this is our fifth year, five years ago, um, I noticed that other neighborhoods had parades and celebration, and I was like, what about Roxbury? We need to be celebrated too. Absolutely. So um, I'm also like the planner and the fundraiser and all that. So besides, uh, you know, you see, you saw other neighborhoods having it. Like, what was the specific need in Roxbury? Like, what have you seen come out of producing such an event? Well, what pushed me to do it, um, the summer of 2017, there was a lot of violence in the city that summer, and I felt my community hurting. And mm -hmm. I was like, we need something to bring us together in a positive way. And that's why it's called the Unity Parade. So how has it grown since then? Oh, so it's grown a lot since then. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but um, we still have a ways to go. A lot of people still just finding out about us. Um, but the reason, another reason why with the parade, I want the kids that are growing up in Roxbury just to have a sense of pride about Roxbury because so much good happens in Roxbury and it's not often portrayed that way on right. the news. Yeah. Um, so, how can people learn more or participate? Like, 
Oh, yeah. If you want to participate in the parade, RoxburyUnityParade.com. If you want to be a sponsor, you could do that, too. You can email me, RoxburyUnityParade at gmail.com. Um, there's lots to do. You want to volunteer on the website, we have a volunteer tab. Awesome. Um, and you could sign up to be a volunteer. And when is it? It is always the third Sunday in July. That's so this year July. it is on July 17th. So if you're out of town this year, put it on your calendar for next year, <laughs> the third Sunday in July. Um, yeah, we start at Madison Park High School. Okay. We usually go to Malcolm X Park, but since it's being renovated, we are going to Jim Rice Field this year. Okay. And then once we're at Jim Rice Field, starting at noon, there's an empowerment fair and there is a hood fest with live music. Just a full day of community. Because I always say we're more than a parade. We're like just a whole day of celebration. So 10 a.m. is the block party and we have live music. And then we have the opening ceremony with awards. And then at 1 o'clock, the parade steps off. Wow. And we go up Malcolm X Boulevard. We're going to cross over Washington Street to Dudley Street, take the left on Warren Street to Washington Street, and then go into Jim Riceville. That's a great route. Yes. What's an empowerment fair? So the empowerment fair is a resource fair. So the empowerment resource fair, because I feel like that day I don't want to take from the community. I want to give them resources just to help empower them and help them with their lives. And you do that in other ways besides on Roxbury Unity Day yes. Parade. <laughs> so I'm also the founder and executive director of Didi's Cry Suicide Prevention and Family Support. Didi's Cry is named after my sister who died by suicide when she was 23 in 1986. But I started Didi's Cry in 2017 when I noticed organizations that focus on suicide prevention wasn't coming into Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan to me, communities of color. So I created something to connect the people to the resources. And in this September, because I'm also a suicide attempt survivor, this September we will be having our first annual walk for suicide attempt survivors, but you don't have to be one to come and join us in celebration. That's amazing. Where is that taking place? That's going to be at Franklin Park. Okay. We're going to have a short program beginning at 12, and then we're going to do a loop around the golf course. And um, yeah. That's incredible. It's going to be awesome. Why is an event like that so important to the community? So it's so important. I, I feel like those who chose life need to be encouraged to keep choosing life, mm. and those who are still in the struggle need to be encouraged and see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Because when I was having suicidal ideations, I couldn't see that light. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to find, but um, we do come through it, and we do get better. It's just so powerful. to I don't know of any other walk or event like that in Boston for people who are survivors. Yeah, I, neither do I. Because a lot of people do have walks for families who lost right. someone to suicide. But I was like, we're still here, and that's the name of the walk. I love I'm it. still here. Yeah, that's so nice. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, so, Dee Dee's cry. Just so we can talk a little bit more about that, real quick. Um, what are some programs or like events that you have besides this walk? Okay, so we just had our men's summit since June is Men's Health Month. So we just had a men's summit, and we will do that again next that's June. That's so important. Yes, in February we have our Mental Health While Black Summit. So coming this year, it will be a fundraiser for Didi's Cry. It will be our annual fundraiser. We also have a weekly virtual group 
called Healing Begins With Me. Mm -hmm. And I named it that because uh, most of us su suffer from childhood traumas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not to blame for our pain, but we do need to be responsible for our healing. So that's why I call it Healing Begins With Me. And what else do we do? We do, people reach out for a lot of different reasons, mm -hmm. like to um, be connected with a therapist, um, help with food, help with divorce. Like, I get lots of calls wow. on different things. Because um, I always say suicide prevention is mental health education, right? Yep. We have to address mental health to stop the suicide, right? So. And you noticed a lack of that in the black community in Boston. Have you seen it yeah, increase so since, more recently? Or? So um, the programs have increased since um, COVID. Mm. So that was a positive thing to come out of COVID, that everybody is focused on mental health and that. Yes, finally. So that is awesome. Um, but there's still a stigma. So we still have to work hard to lift that stigma, especially in the black and brown communities. Yeah, and the men's, the men's resource fair is you have one specifically for men for a certain reason so after i did the um mental health while black summit in february it was just so nice i was like we just have to do this for our black men just to show them that they are appreciated and we see them and we hear them um so many times um you always hear about women empowerment and mm -hmm. you know i'm like our black men need to be supported too and is there a lot of support out there? Or? Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of groups, men groups, but um, a lot of people don't know about them. Right. So, so you're, connect you're a connector. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know how you even had time to come here today with all that you're doing, but if people want to, um, if people are interested in learning more about Dee Dee's Cry, uh, where can they go? They could go to our website, Dee Dee's Cry, yep, Dee Dee's Cry .com and on the roxburyunityparade.com. You can email me at ddscry at yahoo.com or the roxburyunityparade at gmail.com. Amazing, so I will see you again on July 17th, I guess, yes. right? Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. And I hope you'll be back soon. Yes, of course. Produce delivery. Hi, how are you? Uh, here's your produce delivery. Okay, thank you so much. All right, great. And so that's good. You want Sometimes to help is just a knock away. On June 17th, elderly residents in need received bagged fruits and vegetables, courtesy of New Health North End. The monthly door-to-door -door delivery service is just one of several efforts of New Health's food insecurity program, which began at Casa Maria Apartments Friday. Established in 2016, the program serves both its North End and Charleston sites. New Health is Charleston's first full-service health center, serving over 5,000 patients in the neighborhood. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, the organization has ramped up its food insecurity efforts to serve over 100 families per month. Unfortunately, food insecurity is growing in our neighborhoods, especially in Charlestown in the North End for our most vulnerable residents. Um, a lot of people do not have access to healthy foods, especially fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, it could be very difficult to find um, that are affordable in these neighborhoods. So that's why this is one of the reasons why we do this produce delivery, is to get the fresh fruits and vegetables to the people who really need it, who would not otherwise have money to buy these items. It's really important that we take care of the elderly community 
they're in a position where they're incredibly vulnerable and they may not be able to take care of themselves because you know they don't have the ability to work like many of us do. So when we hear these stories about the elderly not getting the proper fruits and vegetables or other foods that they don't get access to, it really makes us want to step up and make sure that they're in a position where they can be taken care of. New Health Charleston will hold a complimentary food distributions through August. And for individuals in need, they are also welcome to the fully stocked community fridge located at New Health Charleston, just outside the health center. At long last, the William E. Carter School starts construction on a new state-of-the-art building. On Tuesday, June 21st, students led Mayor Wu, the Massachusetts School Building Authority, and BPS leaders at the groundbreaking for the new Carter School site. The new building will be constructed on the existing grounds in the South End. For over 50 years, the Carter School has provided individualized learning for severely disabled students aged 12 to 22. The new 80,000 square foot building will increase the number of classrooms from 5 to 12, growing the student body from 25 to 60 students. The school will reopen for the 2024-2025 school year with modern up-to-date facilities. The Carter School is a small Boston public school for students with multiple disabilities um, and complex communication needs and it is extremely important that our students and our school has a school building and facility that meets those learning needs, that helps to remove some of the physical barriers that an older constructed building like this one had put in place um, and so that our students can truly access their educational learning to become the fluent communicators um, and, learn and lifelong learners that they are capable of and that they deserve to, be, to have experience with. The current building was designed as a, uh, an extra facility for elementary age students. And when we moved in in 1975, 76, uh, we made do with how the classrooms were set up. But our students had other uh, educational, physical needs. And uh, teachers adapted and we have really done the best we can. With the new school, we're designing it with all of the needs for education, especially technology, and also the physical, medical needs as well. This is so wonderful because our students here are getting the facilities they so richly deserve. They're not going to have to worry about their wheelchairs being able to turn the corner. They'll have restroom facilities that make sense. They'll have a therapeutic pool here instead of having to get on a bus to go out to Canton once a week. And all the studies show how their learning actually improves with the right therapies and the right education. And that is what the faculty and staff here are so dedicated to doing. So this will allow us to have the facilities that make sense that allow their students to improve their educational opportunities and their quality of life. West Roxbury's Millennium Park got a few new designations last week. The park, now named after former Mayor Thomas M. Menino, was unveiled alongside the naming of the tot lot, now called the Alice Hennessy Playground. Menino and Hennessy were instrumental in turning these one-time acres of toxic brownfield into an expansive flowing park where anyone can enjoy conservation land, sports fields, and walking trails. I pulled in to the parking lot one day just as his explorer was pulling into his spot. And for those that know, and many of you do, I see a lot of Team Menino alumni network here. 
uh, the, the counselor's park in the garage right next to the horseshoe. So I parked my car, was walking into the, into the hall, Mayor Menino's getting out of his, and he says to me, what are you doing here? I didn't know how to re respond to that question. I, I, I stuttered and I said, uh, uh, Mayor, I'm, I'm going to work. He said, the work doesn't happen in this building. The work happens in the coffee shop and the supermarket and the soccer fields. That's where we get the work done. So how incredible that these soccer fields, where a generation of young people, young Bostonians, are going to play because of the foresight, the energy, and the vision of one of the finest mayors who has ever served anywhere in the United States, Tom Menino. When I saw him the happiest, it would always be with a group of kids at a school, at a community event. This always he was delighted in seeing what our future looks like and it's incredibly fitting that these fields which are full of the sounds of laughter and play are going to be named after him his heart and his soul was a part of the city um, I think people have it right when they they feel as though he was like a grandfather or father to a lot of people here and um, I think that's a testament to him how many people came out to honor him today um, it's not about naming things after him it's really about people and the gathering of people and the sentiment of people is really his legacy. Although the park opened in December of 2020, the Boston City Council approved a resolution to rename the park back in 2021 to honor Menino's 20 years of service as mayor of Boston. The Boston School Committee announced the selection of candidates for the position of superintendent of the Boston Public Schools, following the recommendation of the nine-member search committee. The two finalists are Somerville Superintendent Mary Skipper and Tommy Welch, a regional superintendent in BPS who oversees 15 schools in East Boston, Charlestown, and the North End. The remaining finalists will participate in a public interview process today, Thursday, June 23rd, and tomorrow, Friday, June 24th, which will include three community panels followed by a public interview by the Boston School Committee. The panel interviews will be conducted remotely via Zoom with live interpretation in nine languages, including ASL. And members of the public are invited to join. Panel questions will remain the same both days and will be drawn from both the panelists and the previous public responses to the superintendent search survey. Questions may also be chosen live from the Q&A function in Zoom. To participate in the Zoom interviews, please visit boston.gov. Yesterday, June 22nd, Governor Baker signed the Votes Act into law. The bill, an act fostering voting opportunities, or the Votes Act, expands access to the ballot in Massachusetts. The Votes Act will make permanent changes to Massachusetts election laws, including allowing voters to vote by mail without an excuse, expanding early voting options, making sure that eligible voters who are incarcerated are able to request a mail ballot and vote, and more. The act also reduces the voter registration deadline prior to an election from 20 days to 10. Learn about voter registration at sec.state.ma.us. The program is but a tiny sampling of producers and shows all aired on WBCA during 2021 that are truly emblematic of PEG access. 
These programs exemplify WBCA's commitment to airing local public, educational, and government content. Here are some community producers and how their programming serves the Boston community. One long-running organization that has been able to maintain the tradition in the time of COVID is the Parkway Concert Orchestra. You are about 25 of a very select few who gets to be here. We're lucky that we have Boston Neighborhood Network here to show this to our communities. These programs also provide the community with updates on important public events, services, and news. You're listening to Boston Needs to Know on WBCA 102.9 FM, a show highlighting local Boston news. Now the second letter of PEG, E, stands for education. There was a ribbon cutting by the Boston Parks and Recreation Department, along with the Boston Youth Sports and Nonprofit Communities for new football, track, baseball, and softball fields, shared by Madison Park and O'Brien High School. Life lessons are taught here for our student-athletes. Think about the environment, work ethic, perseverance, resilience, mental toughness, accountability, compassion. This is what we're doing here. And finally, the G in PEG stands for government. It is my great honor to introduce to you the next mayor of Boston, Michelle Wu. But by bringing City Hall to every block, every street, every neighborhood. Peg Access, the public, education, and government news and needs all right here at WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston's community radio station. We leave you with a very important message from Massachusetts State Senator Ed Markey. Hello, I'm Senator Ed Markey. Public, educational, and government channels give viewers critical information about what's going on in their communities, and they offer an important platform for every local resident to have their voice heard. We owe our PEG stations a tremendous debt of gratitude for the public service they provide during this difficult time. Thank you for joining us. You can vibe with us every Monday and Thursday at 5.30 p.m. And don't forget, you can also stream us anytime on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, RCN Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. We are also on the radio. You can hear BNN News at 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. on WBCA 102.9 FM. A note to our viewers, there will be no BNN News broadcast next week due to the news team attending the Alliance for Community Media Conference in Chicago. We will be back on Thursday, July 7th after the 4th of July holiday. For BNN News, I'm Kelly Ransom. And I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in July.